Circumstances can cause us to doubt our salvation. Circumstances can cause us to doubt whether we are loved. Uh, I can remember uh, at least a portion of a song from back when I was in college. Uh, there was a question, uh, the question was asked in the song, what have you done for me lately? Right? And so we desire to be shown that we are loved. But with God, he showed his love for us in that he died for us while we were yet sinners. It's an amazing love that he has for us. But there are times when life gets hard. It could be a sickness. It could be some persecution that you face or some shunning that you face at work. Uh, it may be, uh, especially some of you, different backgrounds, uh, that when you came to faith in Christ, in Christ alone, you were shunned by family members. And so you're kind of alienated. and You kind of lost friendships. You lost community, if you will. But you kind of regained some of that when you came into the family of God, into the church. And, of course, a lot of us will call one another brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. We have that family relationship in Christ, and it's a diverse family that we come into with all kinds of different people. And it's one of the hallmarks of the church is that we love people that we wouldn't normally love. Because the world loves those who it's natural to love. But the church, we love one another, even in in our differences, even when some of us are hard to bear, to deal with. But the fact of the matter is, is that sometimes life can come at you so fast and so hard and circumstances are such that you begin to question, is God really pleased with me? Am I really a Christian? Am I loved and chosen by God? This morning we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians, and so you can turn there in your Bibles, 1 Thessalonians. The Thessalonian church was started in not the, not the greatest circumstances. Paul went into Thessalonica and, and he shared the gospel, and there were a few Jews that believed, and then there was a whole lot of devout Greeks that believed, and then it says uh, not a few of the prominent women believed. And so so we had this society that was made up of mostly Gentiles, but people of high standing, people of low standing, and that type of thing. But, boy, it turned quickly. Paul was there a little over three weeks, probably, probably no more than five, and suddenly persecution broke out. They, like, dragged the guy that... Paul was staying with. Paul had, wasn't home at the time. They drug him out and took him and, and kind of started a, a riot, if you will. And so these guys have turned the world up someplace else. Now they're coming here and they're, they're teaching that Jesus is the only king. And what about Caesar? What about Rome? He's the king. And, and, and so they're, they're, they bring him before this council and, and, uh, they, they took money from, from Jason, the guy that Paul was staying with. And they let him go, but when they let him go, the disciples told Paul and his team, they're like, guys, get out of here. Get out of here. And you can find that in Acts 17. So it was a church that was started with intense persecution. And 
Paul had great concern for the church. They 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 turned to Christ, uh, but boy, they faced intense persecution. They faced alienation from family, from work situations, loss of status. All these different things were going on, and then some of the church members died. Some of the new community passed away. And Paul had sent Timothy to check on them. And Timothy came back with a great report for them, but, but there was this discouragement that they had. And we're going to start in verse 1, but we'll really get into the meat of things, the meat of the sermon in, in uh Verse five, excuse me, verse four and following. But let's go ahead, since we're right here at the beginning of the book, let's go ahead and start at verse one. It says Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul begins by expressing his thankfulness for their work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus. But before we get into that work of faith and, and, and kind of what those mean, have you ever had somebody come up to you and say, hey, I just want to let you know I'm praying for you? And that was encouraging, right? Because sometimes when circumstances are difficult, we begin to think nobody notices. And not only does the, we, we begin to question, not only does the Lord not care, but none of my brothers and sisters care. And so I would encourage you, as you're praying for people, right, be sure to let them know every once in a while that you're praying for them. It can be a real encouragement. But Paul here talks about their work of faith now, these works of faith were not works for salvation. They're works that sprung from their faith. We manifest or display our faith in Christ when we serve the Lord instead of ourselves. We need to have a faith that expresses itself in kingdom work. And he talks about a labor of love. Labor is an activity that's burdensome. It's hard work. But this is a labor that's motivated by love. Sometimes ministry takes a lot of work. Our hearts must be motivated by love in order to do the work of the ministry. Many people need help when it's inconvenient. You know, we, we say, Lord, I want to be a blessing to someone today. But, but blessings are being a blessing to someone's kind of like a flat tire. It never happens at a good time, right? Or a convenient time. Oftentimes, ministry is like that to others. Ministry opportunities come when it's inconvenient. But love for those folks is a hallmark of Christianity. Love for one another. And the Thessalonians were displaying it. The question, are you? Are you displaying that love for anyone? But then they have a steadfastness of hope. Now, steadfastness means to persevere in the face of difficulty. We can be steadfast because Christ's return is our hope. Now, hope is not a wish like, I hope the Cowboys win the Super Bowl, right? That's, that's not a wish. It's not, that's not the hope that is talked about in the Bible. Hope is a confident expectation of what will happen. 
Okay, and I'll give you I'll give you this little definition or example to kind of help you to remember what biblical hope is. Hope is like the end of my sermon. You know it's coming, but you're not sure when. Right? You're just not sure when. You're certain it's going to happen, but you're not sure when. Faith, hope, and love. These are Christian virtues in action. These are the things in the Thessalonian believers that Paul is thankful to God for. But because of their circumstances, the Thessalonians are doubting their standing before God. But Paul does not doubt their standing before God. Look at verse 4 as we get into the, the meat of our text today. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction or complete certainty. Paul's missionary team here knows the Thessalonian believers are chosen by God because they not only heard the gospel, but were transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit into joyful Christ followers despite their circumstances, despite the affliction that was going on. When the gospel was shared with them, he says that they are loved by God, beloved, loved by God. He is using a phrase that in the Old Testament was used to refer to Israel. And he's now speaking it to a majority Gentile church. Hey, the gospel is not just for the Jews. It's for the Gentiles. In fact, you can't share the gospel with the wrong people group. The gospel is for everyone. But the Thessalonians here, and perhaps you today, are feeling circumstantial doubt about your standing before God. But Paul says there's evidential certainty that they are chosen and loved by God. And so we're going to look at that this morning. And, and it could be that you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior. And you're not evidencing these things. That should be a wake-up call to you. And we'll get into that. But he's talking about this spirit-transformed life. What does it look like? How can Paul be so sure that they are loved by God and chosen? Well, first, because of their conforming to Christ's likeness. Look at the last part of verse 5, continuing through verse 7. He says, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Thessalonians became imitators of Jesus Christ, but they only knew Jesus Through Paul and his team, they became imitators of us and the Lord, Paul says. The person who truly trusts Christ as their Savior begins to imitate their Lord, Jesus. You become like what you adore. Sanctification is rooted in adoration. Adore Christ and you'll become like him. There's great joy to be found In the forgiveness of our sins, the joy of the Holy Spirit who regenerates us and indwells us. The Spirit marks us as one of God's chosen beloved. 
realizing that God has forgiven you all your sins and will remember them no more, should bring joy to the believer's heart. And there are times when we we are removed, the further we are removed from our salvation, we kind of forget what great news it was when we first heard it. And there's a song by the primit- that's sung by the Primitive Quartet and others. I've put it on the back of your bulletin. And it reminds me of the joy that I felt when I was saved. And so I put it in your hand out there. The words are there. Please read along to that. I'm hoping I can make, through, make it through this without crying. Because when I hear the song, I weep. Weep uncontrollably. Now, the good news for you this morning is I'm not singing. <clears throat> okay, so I'm just going to read it to you. I don't have that that special gift. I make a joyful noise, not a not an in tune noise. So let's let's but let's read through this. The beggar and the king. What you see before you, I've not always been. I once was so broken and battered by sin. And the story that I tell you is such a marvelous thing. How love brought together a beggar and a king. I traded for riches the rags of my soul. I gave him the pieces and he made me whole. I brought to him nothing and he gave me everything. He found a beggar and I found a king. You say it's so hard for you to believe. Well, all I can say is that I agree. Of all the love stories this world has ever seen, there will never be a greater than how Jesus loves me. I traded for riches the rags of my soul. I gave him the pieces and he made me whole. I brought to him nothing and he gave me everything. He found a beggar and I found a king. Yes, I am the beggar. And Lord, you're my king. Oh, What joy to be forgiven, to be brought into a right relationship with God, to be adopted into his family and joined to Jesus Christ despite my wicked sin. Oh, what does a spirit transformed life look like? What can be seen in a person's joyfully conforming to Christ likeness, growing in Christ likeness? But also by obedience to the Great Commission. Look at verse 8. Paul writes there, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. Have you ever had such good news that you couldn't wait to share it with someone else? I can remember when Kim told us that she was Kim told me, I should say not us, Kim told me that she was pregnant with our firstborn Courtney. I couldn't wait to tell my friends. When the believers at Thessalonica accepted the gospel message of salvation through Jesus Christ, they immediately began to tell others. They heralded the word. They they couldn't wait to tell others. I remember right after I got saved, I had a friend from college who knew me as a drunk partier. And I was talking to him, he was calling me about a job, and I said, hey, Neil, I just want to let you know, man, I got saved. And he got really quiet, and then, you know, we just kind of finished up the conversation. He called me back, he said, Dave, I want to, I want to apologize. He said, when you told me you became a Christian, I was stunned. 
He said, you weren't the last person I thought would get saved, but you were pretty close. Oh, it's good news. Notice how the Thessalonians are obeying the Great Commission. It, when Jesus gave the Great Commission in the book of Acts, he said this in Acts 1.8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, in our passage this morning, it's Macedonia, Achaia, and the world. Well, Macedonia was the, or excuse me, Thessalonica was the capital city of Macedonia. So it was like Jerusalem is the capital of Judea. And in Achaia, that was the next Roman province to the south, like Samaria was nearby to Judea. And then he talks about how their testimony had went out to the world. And so we see this church being compared or, or fulfilling the Great Commission. And he's even going to later on, uh, not in this sermon, but later on in Thessalonians, he's going to say, hey, you're just like you're just like the Jerusalem church. You're, you're receiving the word in great persecution. The church is in Judea. So we see a very similar thing happening with them for the Great Commission. You see. These believers were obedient to the Great Commission by sharing the gospel. And, and folks, we need to be sharing the gospel with other people. I, I, I've encouraged you and I'm encouraging myself. Let's pray for opportunities to share the gospel. And then let's pray for boldness to take those opportunities when they're presented for us. Share it. You say, I'm afraid to share it. I'm afraid I won't have all the answers. Hey, listen, don't worry about it. Share it in your weakness. Right? Let God take it and use it. You don't have to be perfectly polished. And we're not asking you to be a salesperson for Jesus. We're asking you to tell people about the gospel. We need to share the gospel locally here in Mission, McAllen, Alton, Palmhurst, and Edinburgh. We need to think regionally throughout the RGV, continentally in the Americas, and globally across national boundaries and over the seas like our group going to Germany. Folks, the gospel is good news. And we need to be sharing what Jesus did for us with others. A godly church is made up of godly believers that are obedient to the Great Commission. How are you obeying the Great Commission to give the gospel, to guard the gospel against false teaching? Given we're baptized in his name, he's concerned about his reputation. But then also to grow Christians, teaching them whatsoever things he has taught us. Right? That's the Great Commission. We're making disciples. What is your part of making disciples? What does a spirit-transformed life look like? Well, it can be seen by obedience to the Great Commission. But it can also be seen in a turnaround testimony of faith. Look at the last part of verse 8 through 10. Last part of verse 8, picking up where he says, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone everywhere so that we need not say anything. Without telephones, without television, and without Twitter, the conversion of the Thessalonians went viral in the ancient world. And what did the world hear about the Thessalonians? Look at... Verses 9 and 10. For they themselves report concerning us 
the kind of reception we had among you. That's probably the persecution that Paul experienced. Hey, Paul, we heard we heard Thessalonica really liked you. And how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Imagine that wherever Paul and his team went, they would hear something like this. Hey, guys, we we heard the Thessalonians were radically saved. Is it true? And Paul would just grin. He said, sure is. Sure is. Look in verse 9 as you see their repentance. You turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Unlike lifeless idols of false gods, the Thessalonians now serve the living and true God. Now, Thessalonica was was Greek and Roman uh, Olympian, if you will, worship. And so they had their pantheon of gods. And then there were also some gods of Egypt that, that, they, that were in the city. And then, of course, the Jewish religion was there. But there were many gods and, and, and many idols that were made. And they turned from those idols to serve the true and living God. Have you turned from the idols to the true and living God? You say, Pastor, we don't really have idols nowadays. Well, let me put it this way. Some of you, some of you may have been raised in church or heard a lot of things about Jesus. And, and you kind of liked some of it. Right. And so so we had this in our minds, this image of who Jesus was and what he believed. But then then we came along and we said, OK, well, I know the Bible says this, but but I've got some things that I like to do that the Bible says are wrong. So I kind of need my Jesus to be OK with my sin. Right. Like like I'm OK with him being against the sins that I don't like. Or that aren't a problem for me. But boy, when he talks about my sins, let's just kind of modify him a little bit. I, I want a Jesus that's okay with premarital sex. Or, or I want a, I want a Jesus that's okay with, with gay marriage. I, I want a, I want a Jesus who's okay with person, uh, saying that they're a man when they're a woman or, or vice versa. Or I want, I want a, I want a Jesus that's okay with my lust. He doesn't mind if I'm looking at pornography every once in a while. I want a Jesus like that. And that's my Jesus. My Jesus would never judge a person for that. Now, these other things I agree with, it's okay for Jesus to judge on that. Hey, folks, when we do that, you know, when, when, you, when you mold Jesus that way, you know what you get an image of? Yourself. You get a God that looks an awful lot like you. And that's an idol. And I'm encouraging you this morning to turn from any idle conception. Or maybe, maybe, maybe your conception of Jesus was he's going to bless me. He's going to give me favor and he's going to be okay with me. He's going to be okay with me lying at work to get ahead because, you know, then I'll get a raise and I'll have more money to give to the church. Whatever the case may be, whatever you've, whatever you've formed in your mind that you say, well, I know what it says here, but I want to be okay. Okay with it. I want him to be okay with it. Turn from that idol and trust the true and living God that's found in the Bible. That's Jesus. 
Jesus is the God of the Old Testament in the flesh. They turned from idols to serve the living and true God. Notice how Jesus is described in verse 10. To wait for his son from heaven. Well, how did Jesus get to heaven? Well, God raised him from the dead. Why was he dead? Because he went to the cross for the sins of his people. He was an innocent man who was crucified unjustly. God overturned the verdict of the Jews and the Romans, resurrected Jesus as king. And now when I place my faith in him, the spirit joins me to him. And my sins, which require a death, have a death to pay for them. Jesus died for my sins. But not only that, I need to have the righteousness of God to be in the presence of God, which I don't have. But Jesus does. And so I get his righteousness. God looks on Christ and he forgives me. And he looks on Christ and sees his righteousness and allows me to be his child. What a God. Jesus is the true and living God. And it says, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Those who trust Christ as Lord have a confident expectation that they will be delivered from God's wrath and be a part of God's new creation. Folks, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, the Christ of the Bible, turn from your sins, turn from your idols and ask God to forgive you because of what Christ did and then follow him as your king. He's a good king. And we see that in a turnaround testimony of faith. Have you changed from what you were before you believed the gospel to what you are now? I'm not saying are you perfect? None of us are. But we are growing in Christ likeness. Have other people noted a change in your life? If not, then perhaps you need to repent and believe the gospel. Follow your king. The evidences of being a Christian are a growing Christ-likeness, obedience to the Great Commission, and a turnaround testimony of faith. It says, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven. They turned in repentance, and, and those that serve and wait are active infinities, okay? If you're like me and your grammar's tough, don't even worry that I said that, except this. It's a continuing action in the present. In other words, they turned to be serving and to be waiting. How long are we to serve the living and true God? Well, many of you know that I grew up on a farm. My dad was a cattle farmer. And in, in, he had a piece of land that he wanted to reclaim. It was not very useful. It had some very low places. And every, everything here in the valley is just so flat. Right? So imagine this. You've got a field and it's got bumps in it. Right? And, and in those bumps, there's kind of swampy areas and different things. And so if you wanted to start cultivating that field, the first thing that you would do is you would plow it, which just, which just turns the dirt over into big, huge chunks. And then what you do is after it's plowed, you go in with what's called a disc, 
just a bunch of round discs on a piece of equipment. And you go through and discs are made to make smaller pieces of dirt out of big pieces of dirt. Right? So we'd run the disc over it to make smaller pieces of dirt. And then we would drag it. And a drag could be like mattress springs, whatever, and boards. And it would drag the dirt and it would drop it into those low places. Okay, So my dad decided that he wanted to reclaim this piece of land. And, and my dad also decided that there was a day where I had school off, but he had to run on the bus. He had, he had a bus route. So he would run the bus in the morning, come home, work until the bus route in the evening. And so this one day I had off school, and for some reason he was still running the bus. So maybe the elementary was having school. And so he said, Dave, I want you to stay home and do some work for me. And I'm like, aces. All right. I'm, I, I'm out of school. I'm going to get this work done, and then I'm going to go live for myself. Right? So dad says, okay, what I want you to do is I want you to hook up to the, to the disc, and I want you to disc that piece of land that I plowed, and, and then hook up to the drag and drag it. And then when you're done with that, hook back up to the disc and disc it and then drag it again. And I'm like, okay, how many times? Right? Because I want to get it done and then live for me. And my hopes were crushed when my dad said, do it until I get back from my bus run. So all day, disc, drag, disc, drag, disc, and drag. I was working, but you know what else I was doing when I was working? I was looking down the road, looking for my dad to return, because then I could quit. Folks, we're to serve the Lord until he comes home to get us. Keep on. Keep on. I know your, your type of ministry may change, right? These bodies, they're, they're not on that upward slope anymore, like some of our young people here. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm invincible. And then you get a little older. We're on that downgrade, right? So, so the type of ministry that we have may change, but folks, be ministering till Jesus comes. We are to faithfully serve the living and true God until Jesus returns. What are you doing in service to the living and true God? The circumstances of your life may be causing you to doubt your standing before God. But circumstances are an unreliable test of your standing with God. I mean, just read the book of Job and understand that Job did nothing wrong. But God was using his suffering to bring redemption to his friends. God may be doing that in your circumstances. He's, he's working. I, I, can't remember, I don't know who said it, but somebody said, at every moment, God is up to 10,000 things in your life. And you are aware of three. We're to trust God despite our circumstances. Our circumstances are an unreliable test of your standing with God. But as Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, you can know that you are loved and chosen by God. The evidences of that, the evidence of being a Christian are growing Christ-likeness, obedience to the Great Commission, and a turnaround testimony of faith. Do you have those in your life? It may be that you're here today and you're not saved. And I urge you again, I think for the third time now in this sermon, turn from your sin and trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. But there are some of you here this morning that your circumstances have you doubting. You've done that. 
And you're doing these things, but your circumstances are just, it's been hard. Life's been hard. Know that you are loved by God and chosen by Him. And that one day, it's going to get real good. So keep serving Him. But while you're serving Him, keep looking. Keep watching. He's coming back for us to save us from the wrath that is to come. When He reforms this world, casts out all the wickedness and all the evil into the lake of fire and makes the earth a new creation where we will dwell with Him and worship Him forever. What a day that will be.